Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we're chatting with Jackie Hill Perry about God's holiness and the communicable attributes of God, or how we can reflect God's character. Jackie Hill Perry is a writer, artist, and speaker whose work has been featured on The Washington Times, CBN, Desiring God, The Gospel Coalition, and on many other online publications. Since being saved from a lifestyle of homosexual sin and the like, Jackie has been compelled to share the light of the gospel through speaking, writing, podcasting, and music. Now, let's get on to my conversation with Jackie Hill Perry. Jackie Hill Perry, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Thank you for having me. Again, it's been two years since we talked. Last time we talked, Eden was a little baby, and now you have another little baby. I do. Two little (laughs) babies, technically. I know they are absolutely adorable, and I love catching snippets of them on Instagram. But I do know the crazy season that you're in, as I, too, have three, six and under. It's quite exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) There's no amount of books that could prepare you for this. Well, from a distance, it seems like you and Preston are doing a beautiful job. I can't imagine anybody who's listening to this not having interfaced with y'all's ministry, but you guys have a podcast, you write Bible studies, you make music. You just turned in your second book, correct? I did. Can you tell us about what the book's about? It's called Holier Than Thou, and it's really just to talk about how the holiness of God is a really good incentive for faith, I think. The way like God's holiness has been presented, or at least from how it was presented when I was growing up and even sometimes now, it's like judgment, wrath, he hates sinners, all this type of stuff. And there's an element, obviously, that God's holiness deals with his righteousness, but it also means that like God is trustworthy in that he's unable to sin against us. And he's incredibly unique. And so there's no reason we should ever project onto him the traits and the behaviors of other people that we might have met. So all of that is what I'm talking about. (laughs) You have this uncanny ability just to pair grace with truth. I love watching you teach. Today, we're going to be talking a lot about the attributes of God and the holiness of God. But I really want to couch the conversation and the reality that we are not trying to be like God. We're seeking to bear his image. And that's another thing that I think you've taught on really well. So can you talk about the distinction between bearing God's image versus seeking to become like God or to become God, I guess I should say? 
Yeah, there's a verse in Ephesians that I think speaks perfectly to this, which is Ephesians 4, 24. And it says that we're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And I think, you know, obviously we see the introduction of this language in Genesis when God created um, and how, you know, and Eve and how they were made in his image and in his likeness. And when you think about God, God doesn't necessarily have an image. He's a spirit. And so it's not that, you know, they looked like God, like they had his nose and his eyes and his eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. And that they were able to image him righteously, uh, ethically, morally. And what happened is, I think with sin, it's not necessarily that we lost the image of God. Uh, we still have the image of God. We still walk or have like the dignity afforded to us because we were made by God. But mm-hmm. we did mar that image where people look at us and they don't see God anymore. They see the devil, to be quite frank, apart from our union with Jesus Christ. And so I think the the aim as Christians is, man, when I walk after Jesus, when I behold Jesus, when I live like Jesus, now I am imaging Jesus, not being Jesus, because only Jesus is Jesus, but I'm able to be like Jesus in the world. Man, I see that in you, my friend, even at a distance. I th- thank you for sharing your life and allowing people just the opportunity to follow you as you follow Jesus. What are some of the attributes of God or of Jesus that we should seek to take on? All of them. Well, we can't take <laughs> on all of them. Because yeah, there yeah. are some attributes that are just not ours to have because they're God's. You know, yeah. like we, we cannot be omnipotent. We can't have all power. We can't be omniscient. We can't know all things. We are not transcendent in the way that God is, uh, seeing that God is not created. He's self-existent. And so those types of attributes are just his and his alone. And glory be to God for being that. But I think when it comes to those attributes that are communicable or those attributes that uh, being in Christ, we are able to embody those we should go after with full steam. So love, joy, peace, self-control. I'm saying the fruits of the spirit, (laughs) gentleness, (laughs) kindness, like those attributes as seen in God uh, are attributes that we ourselves can be, uh, you know, we can't walk in them. As long as we have the spirit, we can walk in the things of God. And that's hopeful. Where does holiness fit into the mix? Well, those things are holy because kindness is not natural to us. We think it is. We think being nice is being kind. And that's not the same. Uh, When you look at God's kindness in particular, it's a holy kindness because if he wasn't kind, then there would not have been any benevolence or any patience towards us, even though he would have been just to judge us. But Mm -hmm. God's kindness is so high. Or let's say God's love. I think a lot of people They like to separate God's attributes with God's person. And there's like this kind of like, it's a piece of a pie. Like over here is one piece of the pie and this is love. And over here is one piece of the pie and this is holiness. God can't be separated into portions. He is simply God. There's a quote by this guy. I don't know his name. He said, God is his attributes. And so when we're talking about love, when we're talking about justice, when we're talking about holiness, we are talking about the same God. And so God's love actually wouldn't even be a thing if God wasn't holy, you know, like he would be a self-centered God, therefore an unholy God, therefore a prideful God. But because he's love, this is why, or because he's holy, this is why we experience his love. Mm. 
You're making me excited about this book, Jackie. <laughs> this is I great. Love, I love it. How do we do this? Like, how do we press into not just knowing God, but also uh, beginning to bear his image? How, how does that happen? Well, one way in particular that I talk about it in the book is in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all, with unveiled face, mm. beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, there's that language again, from one degree another, uh, one degree of glory to another. So to answer mm-hmm. your question, um, I think many of, well, for me, one of the methods that I originally was taught in how to be like Jesus, how to be holy like God, was to simply stop sinning, right? Yeah. There was this, you know, just stop, just you know, stop listening to his music, stop watching these things, mm-hmm. stop, stop, stop. And is there an element of wisdom to say stop? Mm-hmm. Yes. But I think there's a fuller way to incentivize or motivate motivate people towards holiness by saying, behold the Lord. Yeah. How do you behold the Lord? You read the scriptures. Mm-hmm. What do you see in the scriptures? You see Jesus, you see God, and then you look throughout history and you get to see who God is. And in seeing who he is, you trust it. You believe it. You believe the words as communicated to us by the prophets and communicated to us by the apostles and the psalmists. And in our beholding and in our believing, we become like God. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of our problem with holiness is that we don't behold enough. Mm-hmm. We're not looking at God. We're just trying to be good people, and that's not good enough. Mm. Yes. You know, a lot of the Journey Women podcasts, we had actually been covering a ton of felt needs. You guys do such a beautiful job of taking a felt need or something that someone's experiencing and pointing mm-hmm. them to God. We did that, but I just felt this real deep desire to just direct all of our content directly at looking at who he is, because I see that, especially with our generation, you know, this desire to really understand ourselves, which I think in its right place is valuable, but it's almost like we've overemphasized it. And so I'm maybe offering an overcorrective by saying, hey, we're just cutting straight to the chase here. We're going to talk about who God is is. And I hope that the listeners will just come to know and love him more. And that as a result of that, some of this stuff that they're really fixated on trying to work out in their own life will just naturally kind of, it's like the expulsive power of a new affection. Like those things away. Yeah. And then he becomes more, he crowds out some of the things that we are so fixated on trying to fix in and of ourselves. Yeah. And it's not as if holiness is passive, you know, where my beholding just kind of creates a kind of holiness because beholding in and of itself is active to behold is to do you have to look at the sun to see it and i think it becomes more active in that what we see we choose to believe and so if god reveals himself where he says uh cash your cares on me for i care for you mm-hmm a part of beholding is believing that God has compassion towards me. Right. And so now out of obedience, I then cast my cares and thus become holy. <laughs> and so it's kind of that interplay with beholding, believing, and then doing. Mm-hmm. I've heard that holiness is actually the most frequently mentioned trait of God. Is that true? I didn't look into it before. I didn't either. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know if I saw your question. It might be. Uh, I do think it's significant that Isaiah 6, that's what the seraphim sing, that they're not saying love, 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 justice, 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 purity, 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 but they're saying holy, holy, holy. I I do think that that is a really significant 
thing that that's what they sing. To say holy, holy three times is to say, no, God is like really, really, really holy. That's really what he embodies most. So we've talked about holiness, and I think we all kind of have like this idea about what holiness is. But do you have like a a working definition that you used as you were thinking about it more deeply for your book? Yeah. So I had to explain it to my daughter, which helped me to explain it better. Nice. That's always so helpful because you think you make assumptions that like a kid knows. Like I I uh, was working through the word rejecting with my kiddos because we were talking about sin, rejecting God's word, his will and his way. And they're like, what's rejecting? And I'm like, you know what rejecting means? (laughs) You got to find all kinds of synonyms when it comes to kids. It's like, okay, not letting in. I don't know. So let's go with the kid definition. (laughs) Yes. Well, I told her, I said, do you know what holiness is or what it means for God to be holy? And she said, no. And I said, it means two things. It means that God is good and that God is special. Hmm. I think the adult version of that, it means that God is morally pure and that God is transcendent. Hmm. Um, Oftentimes, holiness is only couched in God's moral purity and his righteousness. Hmm. And so God does not sin and does not like sin. That is obviously a component of it, that God is morally pure, that he is without blemish, that he Mm -hmm. is spotless, that he cannot even look upon sin and ever delight in it. But there's also the part that God is transcendent, meaning God exists in a way that is completely different than everything that exists, Mm -hmm. which makes him special, which makes him unique, which makes him set apart. Um, The term holiness literally means to cut apart or to separate. And so God's moral purity and God's transcendence sets him apart as being uh, just a uniquely pure being. Mm -hmm. When we were talking about misconceptions of holiness, I think the set apart definition is one that I clung to growing up. And then I I began to develop this idea of God being distant and far off, like he's Mm -hmm. set apart. And he's over here and he can't yeah. draw near. But yeah. yet that's just been absolutely nullified in Christ. Mm. Would you want to talk about that? Yeah. He is special, how he is unique, how he yeah. is set apart, and yet how he drew near to us in the person yeah. of Christ. Because he's both transcendent, set apart, but also imminent near us. And so Emmanuel, God with us. I think that's a good distinction. I'm glad you asked the question because... For some of us, God's transcendence makes him so distant that we don't feel the freedom to be intimate. Exactly. You know, does he hear me? Does he see me? Can I speak with him? Can I talk to him? Can I tell him how I feel? And it's like, no, he's he's fully involved in our world, even though he does not exist or is not contingent upon our mm-hmm. world to be who he is. I don't know if that made any sense, but no, that that did. That's really helpful because I think a lot of times I've thought, and I think a lot of people have this where they're like, oh, I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going to like, if I'm holy enough or if I act in righteousness <laughs> enough, then maybe I can approach him, mm-hmm. you know, versus like he has made me holy yeah. like, in Christ. So how are we positionally holy Uh, like it says in Hebrews, and yet at the same time, still growing in holiness. This is the dichotomy that is so hard for me to wrap my brain around on a daily basis. It's weird. And I don't even think my answer will be sufficient because it's something I'm still working through. But I think one, to sanctify, because I think that's what Hebrews 10 10 says, Mm -hmm. to sanctify not only carries the meaning of holiness as far as moral purity, 
but also being set apart from. Hmm. And so in my being sanctified, I am set apart from the world, the way the world thinks, sin, lust, pride, vengeance, all those things. And I'm set apart to God for his holy use. And so in one way, I think that helps us to actually make more sense of it, Uh that in God sanctifying me or being sanctified, rather, past tense, is that God has set me apart for ministry to be used to for him, for his glory. Mm-hmm. But there's also, obviously, that in Christ Jesus now, we have given been given a righteousness that is not our own. And so positionally, when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his son, even yeah. though I'm very much aware of all the flaws that I have. And so that is really, really good news. Yes. <laughs> that even though I am yet and still imperfect, God sees me as righteous, yet, God also uses me even in my imperfections. That's beautiful. Girl, I think that is, like, I see you leaning into that in your life in a way that really is so admirable. Sister to sister, thank you so much for leaning into that because it's a beautiful thing to behold when we embrace Mm -hmm. that reality as believers. And I think we need to encourage each other in that and say, hey, I'm not trying to, what's that term where you're like, putting air up the dress. I'm not trying no, no. To... <laughs> I just got a Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> I'm not trying to, you know, puff you up, but you see Christ in them just shining so brilliantly and you see them leaning into his work. Life is crazy sometimes and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. You mentioned so many of them earlier in the conversation. What are some of the attributes, I don't know, that you have just found intriguing to learn more about? What are some things that you wish people would think more about? What are some things that you're thinking more about on an individual level about who God is? Obviously, we don't want to, like you said, isolate certain attributes and elevate one above the other. But I think it's helpful also to consider who he is and to think about those things. And like in our human limitation, a lot of times that means talking about them in isolation, even though they're not to be separate or elevated one above the other. When I was studying God's patience or forbearance really got to me with having kids our kiddos ages you just see how much you lack that I mean I do it's and I say this like with reverence it's insane how patient patient God is because I was reading where it says how God passed over former sins so that he could lay those sins on Christ and be the just and justifier of those who have faith in Christ Jesus and I was going through the Old Testament 
and looking at, you know, sins that God passed over. And so you have Adam and Eve, for one. They were clothed with some type of animal. That's a, that's a passing over. You have Egypt or Israel, who God does all these things with Egypt and condemns them, yet at the same time delivers Israel. But if you think about it, the sinfulness might have been distinct, but it wasn't not lacking in Israel. They were sinners too. Yeah. And so why is it then that God condemns Egypt yet saves Israel? And Romans ends up telling us because God elected them and wanted to. There's a passing over. David, he over here kills Bathsheba's husband. Mm-hmm. And then he tells him that you're not going to die for this sin. But it's like somebody has to pay the penalty, though. Who's going to die for it? Jesus is. And so I think like looking throughout the Old Testament, even and seeing how forbearing God has been and still is, is beyond me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really common misconception where you're looking at the God of the Old Testament and you just see him maybe wrongly see him as just wrathful. But actually, if you dig into the text, you see, wow, he is exceedingly patient. You have no idea how patient he is. Noah got drunk and still got, was able to live. (laughs) It's a lot. There's so many sketchy things. It's a lot. (laughs) Probably had to mark this as explicit if we keep going. (laughs) And yet we've received mercy. So how is it that we have received mercy? You've mentioned, obviously, we receive mercy in Christ, but how do mercy and justice, two attributes of God, have a place in the narrative of our salvation? And how does mercy triumph over judgment? Well, Jesus, you know, because I think the predicament that God was in truly is God's righteousness demanded that the guilty should be punished. Like righteousness is simply doing what is right. Yeah. Oftentimes righteousness and justice are kind of translated the same way in the scriptures. And so there's like this overlap Hmm. between doing what is right and being just. They're kind of all the same. Hmm. And so God's righteousness compels him by virtue of his nature to have to judge the guilty. But then he offers forgiveness and says that I will not judge you according to your works. So if that's the case, then God has to do something because he can't forgive you and leave you, like not punish you for your guilt. (laughs) If he did, that would make him unrighteous. And so what he does then is he sends his son who he then is able to place on your sins on the son, judge your sins in Christ so that now when he calls you his own, when he forgives you of sin, he has not compromised his righteousness in doing so. And so I think that's where you see mercy and that's where you see judgment. You see it in Jesus. Ooh, I wish you would have been here the other night. I had some friends over and they're kind of exploring Christianity. And uh, my friend asked me, she goes, so what is it when we say Jesus died for our sins? And I'm oh, like, that's a great way to. That's a great question. All right, yeah. here we go. You know, and you're just, you're grasping, trying to mm. find a way. Cause we use that. We say Jesus died for your sins, but to really understand why is it that he had to die? And you just did such a beautiful job explaining that. What does it look like for us then to live in light of his mercy? Mm-hmm. To be merciful. Honestly, in Jude, he says, have mercy on those who doubt. 
and mercy in Jude in particular says, be compassionate towards those who doubt. Wow. People who have received mercy should be very merciful, meaning we should be very compassionate. And obviously that's something we're weak in because we're not as empathetic as God mm-hmm. is. We're not as kind as God is. We're not as loving as God is. We're not even as aware as God is to be able to be compassionate in a fuller sense. Mm-hmm. But I think because we have received mercy, we simply need to be people that give it out liberally, especially to those that we don't think deserve it. Because that's the epitome of what God did for us, you know, is that he was merciful towards the undeserving. And so, yeah, I, th- I think that's how we live in light of it, is that we love people. Sometimes I can feel like I'm doing really good at that in like a public sense. And then yeah. when you look into the four walls of my home. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's where all of our, our darkness comes out. By God's grace, I can be merciful to people who hold different views on masks. Mm. I can be merciful to people, mm. you know, we're here in New England. We've got a lot of different ideas going on. I can be merciful. But when you come into the four walls of my own home, oh, mm. I like it, Jackie. It's I like good. it. It's Me so too. hard. Me so, too. so tough. You know, when you're talking about beholding and becoming, one of the things that I just continually find myself meditating on is God's grace to me. Mm-hmm. It changes me. So what does grace teach us? Well, Titus says it teaches us how to be holy. Um, <laughs> but... Man, that was a good question, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is that man to receive his grace is to want to be like him too. Because I think grace has often been co-opted as an excuse or an opportunity to sin, which is why Jude wrote his letter, hmm. you know, that there are people coming in saying that God's grace means that you could be licentious, that you could do whatever really? you want. You popping yes. in with the hot takes from your study. That's awesome. <laughs> I haven't done it yet. That's so good. I can't wait to do it. His whole letter is like, nah, like that's not what this is about. Hmm. But yeah, God's grace, it, grace is such a, it feels awkward because it feels like it actually includes so many other things. Because hmm. in grace, there's mercy. In grace, there's forgiveness. In grace, there's even empowerment of the spirit. You've received Jesus. That's gracious. It's a kind thing for God to do. And so I don't even know how to answer it except to say that man, to receive God's grace is to receive God himself. If you find yourself struggling, to extend grace, uh, yeah. what what encouragement would you have? I mean, if you are a, a, a professing believer in Christ, yeah, we see this in the New Testament, right? We see it with the guy who he's coming and he's forgiven of this tremendous debt. And then he comes back and he's like going to this other guy and he's like, you owe me this. Yeah. I like to think I don't do that. But then when the rubber meets the road and when things are really hard, I can see that tendency in myself to withhold grace, despite the tremendous amount of grace that I have received in Christ. So if we're struggling to extend grace to maybe someone relationally, or even a group of people who we've categorized, what would you encourage us to? Wow, that's a big question. Well, I mean, I think the first thing is confession, is to say to God, Mm. I don't want to be gracious. I want to, you know, return evil for evil. I want to be biased. I want to speak against this person. Uh, So it's a confession, but it's also asking God for help. Lord, you showed me grace. You have more than enough compassion in and of yourself to give to me through the spirit. Can I have it? But also reading the scriptures and observing and beholding God doing it himself. And so even for me, a couple of weeks ago, 
I felt a way about something somebody did. And I know I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. I know I'm supposed to like, you know, be gracious towards this person. And I'm like, Lord, I don't feel like it. I feel yeah. like I was, I was wronged. And what I went to was uh, Peter, where it says when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Mm. So sometimes our ability to give grace is us entrusting ourselves to God who will handle the situation so that we don't have to. That's not to say you don't confront. That's not to say you don't have a conversation, but it is to say that God himself is the true and just judge. I'm not that perfect. Mm. So. That is so true. Ooh, I could just talk about that forever. But sometimes I find myself getting down as I gaze at God. And as I think upon his character, a lot of times I can just feel down and dismayed about the fact that I just continually fall short. What does it look like for us to strive to embody these characteristics while also walking in humility and embracing the reality that we're not God? We're not going to execute this perfectly on this side of heaven. It's going to sound like overkill, but actually the scriptures say this. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. Hmm. You know, and like in looking to him, that's obviously for him to be the perfecter of my faith must mean that it's not perfect yet being perfected. But in the meantime, keep looking. Because I think that's actually the temptation is that you become so aware of your own sin that you start looking inward instead of looking upward. And so I think the challenge is, no, the more aware of my sin I become, I should not walk in self-loathing or self-pity. It's just more reason to look up. Yeah, <laughs> Just keep looking up. And yeah. knowing, knowing that God, when he looks at me and in his awareness of my faults, he is not looking at me in condescension or negatively. Yeah, he's looking at me as a father looks at his child. I am his child. And so just keep looking up. Keep looking up. And the more you do, the better you become. We use that language a lot as Christians, but maybe somebody who's newer to the faith, I hope this conversation will be accessible to people in all different points of their journey. Yeah. What helps you look to Jesus? Well, in looking to, I think one good example of that is Exodus 3, when uh, Moses is in Midian and he sees the burning bush and it says, behold, the bush was burning. He was looking to it, but it wasn't just as a perceptiveness like, oh, the bush is burning. No, he stared at it, inquired of it, thought it strange, considered it. Like there was a meditation about this dang on bush that kept his <laughs> eyes on it. Right. And so I think in looking to Jesus, it's that same inquiry, that same curiosity, that same wonder. Um, I think what helps me look to Jesus is community, to be honest, is that always being near or around or learning from people that are looking as well. <laughs> and that just helps me to keep looking, you know, yes. in my conversation, they're helping me look to Jesus. Uh, and the music I listen to, it's helping me look to Jesus, being discipled by people who are poking at places where they can tell I haven't looked to Jesus. <laughs> like, you're getting a little, you know, a little snappy. Have you been looking to Jesus when it comes to love and patience and all that? So I think that's one way is just placing yourself around people that are always looking. Man, that's part of the reason why I love this podcast. Well, I'm encouraged to look to him, and I think uh, the listeners will be encouraged too. So what's one practical step that they could just walk away from this conversation and just reflect on the character of God and look to Jesus? 
Can I say two? Absolutely. Confession and then reading. By confession, confessing where you haven't been looking or that mm-hmm. you haven't been looking or mm-hmm. that you have no desire. Because I, I meet a lot of Christians. It's not that they they don't try. They just don't want to. There isn't any delight in looking to Jesus. It feels like a job. It feels like a, a duty. And I, I wonder if they're afraid to tell God that. Yeah. You know, but when you look at the psalmist, one thing they had was honesty and prayer. And so telling God, I have not looked to you and I have not wanted to look to you. Um, but out of that, going into the scriptures and just reading it, just, just don't even have all this pressure on yourself to read a chapter, to mm-hmm. study the Greek and the Hebrew, mm-hmm. to pull out some commentaries. Don't mm-hmm. even just just read. Yeah. Just let the spirit of God speak through you or speak to you through the text that he inspired. And I promise you, if you walk away believing what you read, you will change. Amen and amen. That's so good. That especially paired with, you just mentioned, surrounding yourself with other people who are seeking to do that. Man, those are three of my simple joys. And I already asked you three of your simple joys in our last (laughs) conversation. Uh, So I'm going to switch it up a little bit today. Since this series is on knowing and loving God, what are three of your simple joys when it comes to knowing and loving God more? Simple joys, simple joys. So like, just like a <laughs> something easy that I do. Or Whatever enjoy. you want it to be, Jackie. It can be anything. It can be your cup of coffee with your Bible or it can yeah. be, you know, sinning less. <laughs> Probably music. Music is one. Yes. I've really enjoyed following your, um, your recommendations on gospel songs. Yeah. And you guys are doing like a whole... You're doing a whole thing, right? Or is yeah. it going to be virtual or is it in person where you're doing like a worship? It's just worship our virtual event that comes out March 6th. Oh, that's awesome. Music, man. Music does something to my heart. Like You make good music too. Your music does something to my heart. Praise the Lord. Yeah, just music is a simple joy that I just, I, 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 I'm so grateful God gave it to us. Yes. Meals are a simple joy. Yeah? Yeah, like meals with people. And how like it's with food that people get to know each other and talk about Jesus and learn stuff and all of that. And so that's a simple joy to me. That food can like create all kinds of space for like fellowship. Yeah. You're a foodie. I love following your food too, because we eat pretty similarly. I'm hungry all the time now. (laughs) (laughs) All the time. It's like, man, I just need a a piece of bread. I will be okay. (laughs) I need three. I don't know. Maybe Instagram. That surprises me, Jackie, because I just feel like, you know, when I look at you having tons and tons of followers on Instagram, like it doesn't seem fun to me. Like it seems super pressure filled, but you enjoy it. Because I see it as a privilege. I really do see it as a privilege to speak into the hearts of so many people. Is it a burden? Sometimes, yes. Is there a pressure? Absolutely, because it's really important that what I'm saying is true and accurate. But at the same time, it's like, man, if this is, if for this season, if this is the way that God wants me to do Matthew 28, so be it. And so I think that is a simple joy that you can reach so many people over a, a silly app. Yeah. Ministry is a mercy. And I am so happy and thankful for the way that um, you have stewarded the platforms that the Lord has given you. It's it's so true. I mean, you think about it and it's like, golly, like 14 years ago, could you ever have imagined being in the position? Oh. <laughs> All we had was MySpace <laughs> and Tom in our top 10. 
Oh, it's so great. Well, I've asked you this question in a different version before. And I remember your answer, actually, because I'm a she's a friend of mine, Nancy Wolgamuth. But mm. I'd love to hear who is it that's had the greatest impact on the way that you know and love God? Publicly, John Piper. Absolutely. Because when I was in- introduced to Piper's ministry, when I was a new believer, so around 12 years ago, and listening to his like, you know, talks and books on Christian hedonism, it was transformative for me to realize that there is joy and pleasure in Jesus Mm. and that in my obedience, I am actually pursuing joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as I talk about God, when I write about God, the captions I've made, how I talk to my kids, I'm always trying to stir up affections. That's always my secret aim is that I want you to want God. Yeah. Uh, And so definitely Piper couching it in the fight for joy. I love that. And I, I can't wait to learn more from you about how you do that in this book on holiness. I think it's going to be so helpful to all of us. So thank you for writing it. When does it come out? We'll be on the lookout. I think August this year. Oh, cool. Very yeah. cool. Very quick. Well, we'll make sure to point people in that direction. And I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on Journey Women. Thanks for the way in which you just love God and do that in a way that um, orients our gaze to Him, even even as you do that publicly. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. We pray this conversation with Jackie Hill Perry stirs your desire just to know and love God more. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you liked this episode, be sure to check out the entire series, Knowing and Loving God, which you can find over on our website at journeywomenpodcast.com. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. We are so grateful for them and for you. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. Thank you.